What's going on guys? It's your Javi David St. Clair Speaks. You are now tuned in to the St. Clair Speaks Show. You are now tuned in to the St. Clair Speaks Show. What's going on guys? Welcome back to the St. Clair Speaks Show podcast. I'm your host, Yahavi St. Clair. Guys, if you are a fan of financial literacy, you are going to absolutely love this guest on the show today. Today, guys, I'm sitting down with Henry Das, coach, strategic advisor, author, For those of you that don't know, Henry is actually a serial entrepreneur, business coach, screenwriter, and a self-described ordinary guy, now professional financial coach. Henry, I would like to welcome you onto the St. Clair Speaks Show podcast. Please give our listeners and audience a three to five minute introduction on yourself, your brand, your business, and what brings you onto the St. Clair Speaks Show podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know how I'm ever going to live up to that intro. I got to be honest with you. So you raise the bar like really high, but that's okay. I'm up to the challenge. I'm really, really happy to be here. Yes. Happy Friday to everybody. Um, Yeah. Pretty exciting. Uh, I don't know if I should share this, but I just got off the golf course, which is why I'm wearing this, uh, my little, uh, my little golf outfit here. It was about a hundred degrees out there. But that's about the first worldiest of first worldly problems uh, that you could ever have too hot, too hot on the golf course. But thanks for having me. I'm really happy. I, I really want to talk a lot about financial intelligence. Um, answer any questions. Take it, you know, give me what you got. All right. So let's dive into it. Right. So talk to us about your early stages. Right. Let's go back to the humble beginnings. Now, I've done my due diligence on you and you started out cutting lawns as a kid to managing a stock portfolio. Now, what is that like for you? Did did you always knew you was going to get to this point of success? Oh, yeah. No, I, I it was it was kind of what I saw, like everybody in my family were either doctors or lawyers or or business owners. Um, you know, my mom was a teacher. My dad was an engineer. My dad had actually tried to start a business around the time that I was born and he lasted one year and he lost fifteen thousand dollars. This is 1960. Fifteen thousand dollars was a lot of money. It was like a year's wages. Um, and he never went back. He was about the only one in my family who tried to be an entrepreneur and um, never tried again, went out and got a job in cubicle world and, you know, lived a good life and and made a good living and raised a nice family. No, no complaints there. But my feeling was, uh, no, I got to work for myself, right? They say bet on yourself. That's what I did. That's what I wanted to do. So yeah, I cut lawns. I didn't grow up in a very privileged household. We were basically middle-class my folks were, uh, as I often say, straight out of Brooklyn, right? Uh, my mom was a real depression baby, so money was really, really important to her. She lived in a real scarcity mindset. So if I wanted money, I had to go out and earn it. So when I was 12 years old, I started cutting the neighbor's lawns for, I don't know, five, six bucks, something like that. I got my first uh, W-2 job at 15 years old at a, at a pancake house as a dishwasher. Um, you want to learn humility, work as a dishwasher. It's a tough ass job. And I got paid two twenty an hour minimum wage. Mm. So I have a profound respect for anybody who works in any of those kind of minimum wage jobs. In fact, I just saw a thing yesterday. I don't know if it was the times or the wall street journal that said, if you work a minimum wage job today, you cannot afford a to to pay for a two bedroom apartment anywhere in the entire United States of America. That way I was dumbfounded when I saw that. Not a single place could you afford to rent a two bedroom place, right? So that's uh, you know I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole, but yeah, 220 an hour that was the prevailing rate in um uh, 1974. It's now 750. It should be 15. Right. I know there's been a lot of talk about that. But anyway, entrepreneurship is a whole different ballgame. My first year when I started 1991, 30 years ago, I made $12,000. I made $1,000 a month. I went from a $60,000 a year job with gold plated benefits to working for myself for a thousand bucks a month. Who does that? Right. People who want to be entrepreneurs. That's part of the deal. I agree a thousand percent. You know, under pursuit of success, there's suffering involved. 
You have to go through it to go through it, of course. You know what? Let's talk about it. You know, with the recent pandemic, the entire economy has changed, right? Corporations shut down. People lost their jobs. Entrepreneurs actually stumbled upon new skill sets and new opportunities that work for them. I want to know, like, what are your thoughts on that? Well, what's really interesting is there's there's this there's this strange contradiction, this paradox, because the world seems to be awash with money, right? We we just bought this house that I'm in. We we closed in December. We had to pay over the asking price. There were 10 bids within 24 hours. Um, we were going to get shut out on, on the deal, but we had to pay over the asking price and we had to pay cash for it, right? Um, lumber prices went crazy. You can't get contractors to call you back because they're all so busy, right? But yet, there's a whole swath of society and, and, and entrepreneurs and small businesses which are struggling, which are suffering, where they were they were dependent on the PPP money and the other the other money that are the trillions of dollars that the government printed, um, and yet they're struggling. So it's almost like there's two different worlds. Uh, some people refer to it as a K-shaped recovery. People who had money, middle class people, upper class people, the the one percenters, the point oh oh one percenters. They all did fine, but everybody that's down below some invisible line suffered and they suffered mightily. Um, but going back to the concept of, of starting a business, I don't know who your audience is, who's listening, but let's assume it's, it's people who are like, uh, yeah, I want to work for myself. I want, I want to do my own, my own business, my own gig. I want to be you know, master or mistress of, of, um, of my future. Well, they'll see all the tea leaves that are out there. They'll look at the Bitcoin millionaires and all these people who are out there on Instagram and TikTok papering the earth with the idea that this is really easy. That's very alluring. But then when you start peeking past it, it's a tough game, right? You work for another company. You want to go on a week's vacation. You go, you never call the company. You never talk to anybody. And then you show back up the following Monday like nothing ever happened. You can't do that as an entrepreneur. You don't work, you don't eat. It's just as simple as that. That can be really sobering for people because they have this romanticized notion that, like you said, it's all puppy dogs and rainbows. And then they start doing it. And it's like, this sucks ass. This is, this is really hard right? It really is hard. And I'm not trying to dissuade anybody from doing it because it's the best kind of hard that you could ever do in your life. And you'll never want to go back and work in cubicle world again. Once you've, once you realize and start getting your chops and start doing all the stuff that's necessary to be successful as an entrepreneur. What's going on guys. It's your hobby, David St. Clair speaks, and you are now tuned in to the St. Clair speak show. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast on platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything that you need in a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app and start your journey today. It's that time. So you mentioned a good point, and I just want to swing back for a quick second, right? Um, you mentioned the stock market, um, especially the stock market. Uh, you know, stocks is literally being the talk of the town, right? You know, you, you know, you're seeing a lot of people invest in the market, a lot of newbie investors. They're trading on platforms like Robinhood or Webull. Then you also have these meme stocks like AMC, and you have platforms like Reddit that really pumps uh, you know, of course, the hype for these stocks. And I've seen a lot of people lose it all in quarantine. And I've also seen a lot of people gain it all in quarantine. So I just wanted to like kind of like pick your brain and, you know, see what are your thoughts on uh, the investing market now? Just have to unpack there. Um, uh, a large part of my book, is, I wrote about fundamental trading, about technical trading, trading from charts, 
Um, I had done a, a, a talk in 2017 after Bitcoin, or actually 2018 after Bitcoin went to 20,000 and then dropped all the way back to 4,000. And I put up a chart without identifying it in a room of 40 people. And I said, how many of you people have ever seen a chart like this? And like maybe two people raised their hand. And then I said, how many of you have money in cryptocurrency? Almost everybody raised their hand. And then I showed them the chart. It was Bitcoin. And I'm saying, well, how did you figure out what your entry and exit points were in terms of doing this as a trade? Oh, well, we weren't really trading. We're just kind of fooling around or we're mucking around or we're going to buy it and we're going to hold it until we're 80 years old. Uh, you know, all sorts of stuff. It's like, hang on a second. Yes, there has been when I talked about the world being awash with money. Well, those people, they've got to do something with that money. Right. And a lot of them went to Robin Hood and they plowed their money in and they really didn't have any training or any plan. But the trend is your friend. That's an old Wall Street saying. And the trend pretty much for the last 10 years, other than a couple of little waterfall declines, has been pretty much straight, straight uphill. Right now, the market is the term I always use is frothy. The market is very, very frothy now. If you were to look at it strictly based on fundamentals and earnings and the various ratios that you like to look at, it's inescapable that the, the crowd has bid asset prices up. So when things start to weaken as they are now, and the indexes might show them bumping into new highs, but if you peel it back and look, you'll see it's a number and a small number of stocks that are driving the market. The tech stocks, the Facebook. Facebook is up to 350 bucks. For full disclosure, I own Facebook. I've done very well with it. Apple is up to 150 bucks and it split seven for one, what, two years ago? You adjust it that way. So yes, the market has been very, very good, but you gotta know when to take some money off the table right? The best way to de-risk, and a lot of what I talked about in my book, is managing risk. And the best way to, to de-risk is to put money in your pocket, right? Just take it off the table. Nothing wrong with taking profits. People are like, nah, I'm going to let it ride because I think there's more money in there. Well, you do think or do you know? Is there? Can you give me some evidence as to why you are making the decisions that you're making? And the problem with asking that probative question is it takes all the fun out of it, right? But it's not supposed to be fun. Trading in the stock markets, bond markets, real estate, it's not supposed to be fun. It should be boring. If you're trading, if the money stuff you're doing is exciting, then you are doing something wrong. I've said that on other podcasts. I said it in my book. You want to make boring money. Stop with the hype. I don't watch CNBC. I don't watch Bloomberg. I haven't for years. I have a couple of trusted resources that I have used for the, at least the last decade, if not longer. And I've been trading for 40 years and I have a system and I, and I follow it. Um, and it's, it's boring and it's dull and I don't get caught up in high flyer, super hype stuff. I'd rather buy some boring company that makes some boring piece of equipment that's super essential to the economy, you know, that makes boxes, right? Or that makes little widgets. I was talking to somebody the other day because there's a chip shortage in the, in the auto business, right? I'm not going to invest in auto companies, although I have stock in Tesla, but I think of Tesla more as a technology um, uh, as opposed to a, um, an automobile company, right? It's technology with wheels. Um, look for those little niche companies that provide some essential element that all of these other companies need. Look at them. It takes work. You're not going to find it on Instagram. You're not going to find some tweet by some yo-yo out there. No disrespect to the Jim Cramers of the world. I've watched the show. I've even met the guy. But but you're never going to hear him say, you know what? I bought this stock and it went to total crap. And here's why. They'll, they're never going to come out and tell you that. Right? You'll learn a lot from people's bad trades. You probably learn a lot more from people's bad trades than you do from everybody's killing it right? Don't believe that. Don't fall for that.
<laughs> You're talking a lot of stuff right now, especially that last point. Uh, you know, in my early days, uh, when I first got started in trading, uh, you know, definitely kicking myself for it now, but there was risks that I regret not taking, right? Um, there's this stock, uh, Fiverr, for example, right? Freelancing, the entire world shutting down. I'm just using literally my common sense. Everyone's going to flock to freelance opportunities. Prior to the pandemic, Fiverr was at $74, I believe, flew up over $200 during the pandemic. And I was just kicking myself for not taking the risk, but it, it just left me with that whole FOMO and things just started to snowball. Then long story short, I started to get into Forex and the foreign exchange uh, trading, which is a whole nother rabbit hole of a conversation as well. And that's where I kind of put the spin, Henry. <laughs> I feel like this is a uh, I, uh, yeah. Yeah, Henry, Cur I got Cur currency is a currency. Uh, I'll be honest, is for the pros. If you want to trade currency, now Bitcoin is not really currency. Fiat currency, we're talking about. You're talking about, you know, dollar and something else pairs. You're talking about carry trades and all that stuff. Um, there's no really central regulatory or even central clearing for that stuff. So it's kind of the wild west. And I have friends who are professional FX traders and they'll tell you, you know, this is really for the pros. Uh, but going back to the whole idea of, okay, so you see a trade, right? The stars all align. I don't know if you looked at Ed C's, you know, Edgar, their, their quarterly filings. I don't know if you looked at their, I'm sorry, what did I say? Etsy, Etsy was a trade that, that I didn't pull the trigger on. You were talking about Fiverr, but it's the same basic thing. You know, I run a passive mastermind. We went through some watch list. Uh, one of the guys in the in the, um, the group that I host had had a bunch of stock. This is, you know, in the middle of the pandemic. Etsy was one of them. I said, oh, I'll put it on my watch list. And I saw that there was a trade there. And then I got distracted by stuff and I never executed. And by the time I turned around, trade had passed. Stock had run away from me like that. And I sort of laughed about it. And I said, you know what? What I should have done is I should have bought 50 shares of it. Just put a placeholder in place, a small amount, because then I'll pay attention to it, right? So you could have done that. Oh, I'm worried about losing it. Well, you could have just said, look, you know what I'm going to do? I'll buy five shares of it at $50, because that change psychologically that changes because now you own it and you're going to pay attention to stuff that you don't own. Where When you put stuff on your watch list, easy to lose sight of that, all right? And people know... Uh, or, or maybe they don't know, traders trade from watch lists. They see something that they that they like. I have a standing watch list of candidates and, and I monitor them. And sometimes if I don't pay attention, they, they do, they run away. But we don't chase buses. Another Wall Street idiom. If, the if a trade passes you by, you don't force it. You say, ah, I missed that bus. You know what? There's always going to be another one. Forget about it. Turn your attention to something else because there is so much money to be made in the market and there's a lot of money to be made in very unsexy, boring, what I often call stupid companies. It's just a stupid company that does stupid business and makes money. There's nothing um, sexy about that. You know what I'm really excited about, Henry? More conversations like this are happening more often. Right. You know, there are a lot of kids that are listening to podcasts just like this in terms of financial literacy or, you know, they're turning on uh, YouTube and they're picking up this information again. Information overload. How how do you you know turn off these blinders? As you mentioned, you have your sources. That's what you stick with. Right. So how do you figure out what works for you in terms of just niching down with a source? Well, look, I, look, I, I give my book away for free. If you just go to henrydoss.com. Right there on, that's my personal website. If you just go right there on the front page, there's a link to download FQ Financial Intelligence, my 432-page book, um, for free. I mean, I sell a course around it, um, but I give the book away for free. There's a ton of value and a ton of knowledge. It's free, but I tell you what I can't do. The book can't make you read it. Can't. It takes work. I'm sorry if I'm an old school boomer. I'm actually now a senior. I just turned 62, so I'm officially a senior. Um, 
So I'm really like old school, but this is basic, basic, basic stuff. There are not going to be any shortcuts to doing what you want to do. You take a shortcut and in all likelihood, you're going to blow up your account. It's just how stuff works. I know tons of people. I was in an options trading group about 15 years ago and people were dropping like flies because they weren't managing their risk and they were blowing their accounts up. And when I say blowing up, I don't mean blowing up like they were getting really big. I mean, blowing up like they put dynamite in them and just blew them to smithereens, right? Live to fight another day. If you went and did your little trade on Fiverr, even with $250, five shares at 50 bucks, you could have put a, put a stop loss and order in there at, I'm making up a number, 38, right? So if it fell below 38, you would book your loss, lick your wounds, and live to fight another day with the money that you have left. Now, there's a technical way, and I talk about it in my book, on how you actually set stop loss orders, right? It's an industry function that is designed that anybody can use to protect their downside. There are dangers to it, and I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole, but essentially it says if the stock if I, if I, if the stock goes wrong on me and I could do all the greatest analysis in the world. And sometimes there's a famous quote that I used in my book by, by, um, John Maynard Keynes, the famous Nobel prize winning economist from like a hundred years ago, who said the market can be wrong longer than you can be solvent. Right. So you can say everything about my trade was perfect. Right. And then the world disagreed. And you lost money and you're sort of scratching your head. Why didn't this trade work? Well, would you rather have a $10 loss on your five chairs and lose 50 bucks and now you got 200 bucks left? Right? Or would you rather just say, I'm so paralyzed by the thought of losing money that I could never pull the trigger? If that's the case, don't, don't even waste your time trading. Go buy a mutual fund, right? Let a professional manage it and take the worry out of it and buy a mutual fund or some other product that you don't have to quite so actively manage. A lot of options. With all the experience that you have now, of course, we would consider you more so a vet in the game. What advice would you give your younger self now starting out? You know what I would tell myself? And this is going to probably sound very contradictory after everything that I just said. I probably would have told myself to take more risk, right? I mean, I consider myself to be fairly risk averse until I actually step outside of myself and look at, you know, my money and my portfolios and how I manage things. And I'm saying it's very, what I do is very, very risky. It is, but I protect myself, but it is very, 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 very risky. And I lose sight of that sometimes because I've been doing it for so long. And I was very conservative when I was when I was younger because I was raised by very conservative parents. And it wasn't until I became an adult and had my own family and started to create my my sort of my own core set of, of values and risk tolerance that I let go of all of that stuff and said, it ain't about them. It's about me. And my risk tolerance is a hell of a lot higher than my parents was. Just look, my father. 1960 with my uncle Murray sets up a business, loses 15 grand, goes and gets a job. Well, I've had eight or nine different businesses. I've had businesses that have done really well. I had a business that my partner committed suicide and it was an absolute nightmare. And yet I dust myself off and I start over. Right now I'm training in the real estate business. I'm, I'm, I'm um, getting my real estate license which sucks. It's 60 hours of Zoom calls. <laughs> it's pretty horrible, right? <laughs> and then I got to take a test and then I'll get a license. It's not fun. I guess it's it's good that it's designed that way so it keeps you know barriers to entry for people because it costs some money and it's a bit of work. Um, and I'm doing that because I want to have another arrow in my investment quiver. I've bought and sold uh, houses and I've always made money but I've never done it. I've never owned a rental property or I've never bought a house specifically as an investment. Um, I'm not getting caught up in the, in the mania. I mean, I, I, I bought this house during the mania, but we had already, we had already planned 10 years ago to move. And it was just an unhappy accident that, you know, 
the pandemic came just as we had planned to move. But we said, we, we had a couple of jokes. We could have said, well, we're not going to do that. We're going to let the pandemic derail our plans or we're not. We're going to do, we're going to go full steam ahead. And we did because we had a plan. And you executed that plan. All right. So let's kind of like take it back. Uh, you, of course, you know, you mentioned real estate. You know, you're from New York. I'm a fellow New Yorker myself, uh, you know. Uh, grew up in Queens. I want to know what are your thoughts on the real estate market in New York because there has been a lot of shift and change during the recent pandemic. You've seen a lot of people flee New York. Uh, there are some affordable brownstones that I've seen online, and of course, people are lined up to put in an application to qualify for these places. So, what are your thoughts on the New York State? Uh, real estate market right now? Like, do you see it booming back up? You, I mean, as you know, New York is always going to be in New York. There's going to be demand to live in New York. What are your thoughts on the uh, real estate market in New York City? So let me let me give a little history lesson. Um, so in the 19, going back to the 1950s, um, with the advent of the interstate highway, you know, the Eisenhower interstate highway system, the Dodgers moving to Brooklyn, the Giants moving to, I mean, I mean, the Dodgers moving to LA, actually the Giants moved to San Francisco and then the Dodgers um, moved to LA. And then it was, you know, 1960 and people were fleeing the city. Um, uh, houses were going up uh, where I grew up in New Jersey was a little cottage community. When my parents moved there, in 1959, which was the year I was born, there were still cornfields. Now that is commuters, white collar suburbia. People hop on the train and they come into the city and the taxes are high and the congestion and all of those problems. But 50, 60 years ago, it was a very pastoral little place. Uh, we bought our first apartment in New York City in 1992. Um, we paid... Um, 300,000 for an apartment that the previous um, owners had paid 450 for in 1986, right? People say real estate can only go up. Do not believe that nonsense, right? Uh, 1992 was the middle of the crack epidemic in New York City. Nobody wanted to live there. We were just a couple of dumb kids, as I like to say, although we were 30 years old, uh, 32 years old with a baby, but we wanted to live in the city. We bought a place and we fixed it up. And 12 years later, we sold it for five times what we paid for it. Right. 2009, again, another big correction. Everything's going crazy. It's going parabolic. Huge correction. Right. The Great Recession, all of that stuff. Defaults, um, five million defaults uh, across the nation. Now we've had a big uptick. The The pandemic has has shifted um, you know, the deck chairs again, right? We printed a lot of money as a country and that money went to people who, who, um, had a couple of factors in their mind. Number one is I can, I can work remotely. I think remote work is going to be a permanent thing. Therefore, uh, I feel confident that I don't have to live very close to my office because I'm not going to be going to my office. So I can kind of move to the hinterland. Two, the pandemic showed us that we don't have enough space. We're stepping all over each other. We're not going anywhere. I know from my own experience. Um, we don't want that to happen again. So that's kind of shifted a whole bunch of stuff. So that brings us to today's New York, right? The You have to look at the real estate market in terms of price points, um, to really understand it. There, there was a um, apartment that sold, I think for $169 million the other day. So there's always going to be that ridiculous upper echelon in New York city. Um, there are going to be, and I haven't analyzed it, but there will be some weak spots at different price points. I don't know what they are. It may be something as simple as one bedroom apartments or Apart, $2 million apartments are flying off the shelves, but the million dollars are not. You can find that data and you can look for the bargains, right? As far as neighborhoods go, Brooklyn has gone, you know, crazy. We went, we went um, probably two, three years ago. We spent the weekend in the city because I live in Connecticut now. Um, and my wife said to me, it's Saturday morning. My wife said, where do you want to go? 
I said, you know what? Let's go to hipster Brooklyn and see what that's all about. I hadn't been out there. So I hopped on a train and we went out, we took the train to Morgan Avenue, went out to Bushwick. And then we walked from Bushwick all the way back to 29th Street. We were saying it was like six and a half miles. And we walked all through Williamsburg and we're looking at Zillow and we're going by places. And it's like, it's like my parents would be rolling over in their grave that they're selling these crappy little houses in Bush Bushwick. They're asking 4 million bucks. I kid you not. Right now that's, that was just crazy town. Um, so anyway, there's a couple of things going on. The rental market was really, really soft. It's starting to firm up a little bit as people are coming back in the city, but rents are still not, not what they were. And I would expect it to take a little while for those to recover. Um, apartments is a different ball game. Again, it stratifies according to, um, the costs. Uh, you got to look at things like maintenance and taxes, which tend to be very high in the city. So even though the, the print price on the, on the, on the place might be low, they may have very high maintenance. They may have tax abatements. There may be some hidden, hidden things in there that you need to know about. Um, but, but money is really cheap right? It's the cheapest that has been in my lifetime. And I don't know that it'll ever be any cheaper. So when money is cheap, go get it. So if you can put together a little bit of a, of a, of a pile of money for a down payment and you've got a decent job and a decent income, um, you can go out and borrow almost as much money as you want, assuming your credit is good, at 3% or less. That's practically free money. So I don't know if I really answered your question. I kind of meandered around a bit. Um, I will tell you from my experience, having owned a bunch of houses and just bought this, this house, and there's a bunch of stuff that we have to fix up on it. I've always found it best to not think of your principal residence as an asset, right? It's really a liability masquerading as an asset, and people learned that very that lesson, the very harsh lesson during the Great Recession, when they put when they had very little equity and then the bottom fell out and homes were underwater. And all of a sudden they're in deep, deep financial trouble. And this is the the the, the predominant amount of equity that they have in their nest egg. And it's not unusual for people to get to be my age and retirement age. And they're, they're, they're way, way, way top heavy on the value of their home. They bought it 30 years ago and now it's appreciated, you know, a crazy amount, but they're kind of stuck there because if they want to sell it, sure, they'll make a bunch of money, but then they have to buy something and they're just going to dump that money back in and they're end up, they're going to end up, you know, with a, with a capital gain, right? And not end up having to pay taxes on it and they won't be any better off than they were. So be careful. There are a lot of strong arguments, especially if you're young, that says just rent. Don't sweat it. You're not throwing your money away. Just rent. Rent to own. Rent to own. Yeah. Or rent to own. Whatever the case may be. Take that extra money that you have and invest it. Right? Especially if you can borrow money. If you can borrow money at 3%, I make about 15% on my money over the last 10 years, you know, up and down money that's in the market. Um, but if I could borrow money at 3% and make 15, even factoring the tax situations, that's free money, right? It's not even my money. I'm investing other people's money. I make a spread. I mean, that's ultimately, that's how you'll get rich, but it is a slow and painstaking um, process. One other thing I wanted to circle back to, uh, you mentioned Robin Hood, right? One of the things I talk about in my book is, uh, you should have a place where you do your trading. I would prefer that it be a computer, not a mobile device, because you want to look at charts and you want to look at stuff. If you are not at that place in a nice, quiet, untriggered, not with kids running around or whatever, if you have some focused time to do some deep work, that is the one and only place that you should be trading. You should not be standing at Starbucks on a mobile app trying to trade stocks. Don't do that. It's just, it's just not a, um, not a conducive environment. You're going to make mistakes. You make, 
you make, you're making a lot of good points, man. I had um, <laughs> I got I'm like, I got I'm like stream of consciousness because my mind goes yeah. all over the place. No, I got another. You know what? I, I'm just going to stay on the stock topic because, you know, what I was doing, what I didn't know what I was doing was, and I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one that told you this or I'm not the only one that does this. All right, I'm just going to try this one and see if it just blows up overnight, right? Because will this mm-hmm. one be that? Right. Imagine if I would have gotten GameStop maybe months ago. Right. So what do you say to, you know, these quote unquote newbie investors? I don't even call them newbie investors, but, you know, aspiring uh, stock traders that are looking for that. What's the word? That next quote unquote. Get, there's no such thing as a get rich stock. I, I just throw it out the window, but they're looking for that next big pump up. What do you say to them? Do you say like, hey, hold on. Like, do you know what you're, do you know what you're doing here? Like, What's your exit strategy? What do you say to someone like that? Usually I'll just say, okay, uh, tell me why. Tell me why you think this thing is going gonna, is gonna to blow up. Right? Conversely, if you own a stock and you're like, ah, I'm going to dump it. Tell me why. Right? I told a story in my book about I was sitting at a dinner with some guys, uh, friends of mine who were traders. And I said, you know what? I had a, I had a position in Caterpillar, a big you know, dumb company that, you know, multi-billion dollar company that makes heavy equipment. And I said, yeah, I, I dumped my position in Caterpillar. Yeah, really, why'd you do that? Well, I thought it was a little toppy. And he just read me the riot act. He's like, that's the best you can do? That's the, that's the best explanation that you can give me as to why you, you sold this position? You know, and I had maybe 50, 60 grand in it. And, and when I dump a stock, I usually dump the whole thing. I don't, I don't like leg out. I leg into it, meaning I'll buy a bunch of it. But if I think a stock is kind of worn out its welcome or, or whatever, the bloom is off the rose, whatever you want to say, I'll dump it all at once. He was not pleased. And you know what? He was right. I have to, you know, I, I, I went back and said to myself, I got to redouble my efforts to come up with the justifications. Otherwise, um, I'm, just, I'm just throwing darts at a dartboard. Right. So I went back and I reanalyzed it. Now, I was being lazy because I was using my years as a trader. I knew intuitively what I meant to say, a glib throwaway like it was frothy. But I had to go back now and I had to go look at the charts and really look at it and crystallize what was going on with that stock that triggered me to say, you know what, it's time to get out. You need to journal that. You need to be able to understand what your motivation was. And it's the same thing with going in. The whole Reddit thing is, how do I say this in the nicest way possible? Massive stupidity, I guess, is is the kindest I can come up with. It's like, stay away from all of that stuff. Sure, there's a couple guys, like in an MLM or an airplane or a Ponzi scheme or whatever, there are going to be a few few guys and gals early on who are going to kill it with that because it's a greater fool theory, right? There's always a greater fool than me to buy this crap. But what happens when you get to the end of the line and all the fools are exhausted? You're going to be the one holding the bag. Oh, <laughs> come on, Henry. Come on. That, that hurts. You don't want yeah. to be that guy, right? So stop with that nonsense. That's why I say, put your blinders on. The problem is, if I were to go to just an average one of these newbie Robinhood traders and say, what kind of systems do you use? Like, what do you use for charting? What indicators do you use? Right? Um, you know, how often do you read the financial reports of the companies that you're investing in? Bobby, Bobby, Bob, they're going to kick me out of the room and say, dude, I don't do any of that stuff. I don't have anything. I just want to trade and make money. Well, you can't do one without the other. You just can't. You can get lucky every once in a while, right? You can. People can get lucky every once in a while. Even a, even a blind squirrel finds the occasional acorn. You cannot build a, a, um, a portfolio on occasional acorns. <laughs> you just can't. I'm, I'm sorry. Just, I'm just jotting down the notes. Well, you make sure you you know, when I think of Reddit, uh, Mark Cuban, for example, right? Say he would post something on Reddit, it, everyone pumps it up, um, it everything just starts to go crazy. And I was watching this interview uh, the other day with Mr. Wonderful uh, Kevin O'Leary from uh, Shark Tank, 
And he was featured on Meet Kevin's YouTube channel, who is a financial uh, expert as well, a real estate investor, and he's really big in stocks. And he was talking about this company that he's invested in it's called Mind Medicine. And it's in regard to mental health. So it falls into the mental health category. And mental health is huge right now. I don't know too much on uh, the company. I'm still doing my own due diligence in the back end. So I don't want to dive too much into that. But you mentioned some key points, right? Doubling your efforts, journaling the market, uh, financial reports. These are a lot of things that a lot of people don't really talk about, right? And get, listeners, like guys, this is what I'm talking about. Henry's dropping some gems right now. No pads out, please. Pause this interview if you need to. Go back and jot these things down because what you fix now could definitely fix your future. But it makes so much sense when you look at Dogecoin, especially with Dogecoin. Don't get me started. Don't get me started on Dogecoin. Don't get me started on Dogecoin because I know so much people that made money that that's texting me. Hey, look what I made. Why don't you get into it? No, leave me alone. Leave me alone. They kept trying to get me, Henry. I felt like you know I was being trying to get the Dogecoin is like is like Beanie Babies, you know. You, I don't know. You probably you may not be old enough to remember, but my kids were little, and we just moved, and I found three gigantic boxes stuffed with Beanie Babies, many of them with tags, right? The guy who started that thing, what was his name? Ty something or other. The guy who started that Beanie Babies made. Two billion with a B, two billion dollars in like 24 months. Two billion dollars. And then he got caught up in a tax evasion scheme because he didn't pay his taxes. He hid his money offshore and he got a slap on the wrist. I wrote about that in my in my book too. Right? It's it's the people who create these memes who make the money. Remember that. So if you want a little piece of advice. Go out and create one, right? Just go create, be that guy who creates or that gal who creates this thing that everybody can't live without because that is the franchise and that's where the money is. Not in being a user, right? It really I is. I want to talk about this because you just made a good point and this is a great topic for our next um uh, conversation and this is a really good conversation so in terms of just like entrepreneurship um of course times are different now versus when you started out as a young entrepreneur what are some uh differences that you're seeing in terms of just entrepreneurship now versus then would you also say that entrepreneurship is 10 times easier now versus what it used to be well when we, when we started our first business there was no internet there was a dial-up, there were bulletin board systems, there were what were called um, uh, EDI systems. So if you were buying product from a large vendor, you could send them a purchase order via a, a closed system that ran over uh, phone lines, right? And, and some folks might remember, you know, modems where you dialed up with that scratchy sound. You've got mail, right? That whole thing. Um, yeah, that's how that was. And then uh, in the mid nineties is when the internet, I remember we had an ISDN line. It was cost us a fortune. It was 1.5 megabits, which wouldn't even register now. Um, I consider now to be the golden age of, of entrepreneurship. The barriers to entry are, are minuscule, right? You can buy, there are zil, I run my business on SaaS products, you know, hello sign and schedule once and, um, Stripe, right. And Slack. You add it all up. It might cost me a couple hundred bucks a month for all of the, of the probably two dozen SaaS systems that I use and I knit them together to, to build a business. You couldn't do that back in the day, not at all, right? So, so there's that. There's the, the um, uh, international, uh, the, the ability to hire people on an international basis that didn't exist. I couldn't hire a VA, I had a VA until recently, uh, she had a baby, so, so we had to sort of end it. It's like, you know, raise your kid and then come back to being a VA. I had a VA in Vietnam. 
I paid her $7 an hour, which is a perfectly good wage in Vietnam, a really good wage in, in Vietnam, not like the $7.50 here in the U.S. And she worked while I slept. And I would wake up in the morning and there would be a report for me because she's 12 hours different. So I'm sleeping and she's working. And then she's sleeping and I'm working. Right. And I've, I have had uh, coaching clients. They run their whole their whole team. It runs on out of the Philippines. Right. Or they run out of Montenegro. Um, so you can run a business basically 24 hours a day. People can be working for you. You can tailor the, um, the labor force for the rate that you want to pay instead of the other way around. Right. So it is it it's a it's an amazing world and it's only come about really in the last 10 years. It's only it's only since we reached the tipping point in terms of broadband. Right. That changed everything. Right. Your listeners, uh, people who are listening to this may not be be old enough to remember Blockbuster or, you know, renting movies or things like that. Um When's the last time anybody rented a movie that wasn't done online? You know, I just cut the cord here. You know, I've got Hulu and I've got Fubo and I've got HBO Max and, you know, you name it, we have it. Uh, and it's a very different experience, but I don't miss, the, you know, channel surfing or anything like that. I mean, that's a, that's amazing. So, uh, yeah, there's a zillion little niche businesses that you can get into. There are people who have gotten into FBA, which means fulfilled by Amazon right? You want to sell some little widget, you can get a company in China to produce it, send a container over here. And I've had clients who've done that. And then they just sell them on Amazon. They do all the fulfillment. They take their cut. They pay you every two weeks, go on your way. So yeah. And it doesn't even have to be a full-time business. You can go, you know, work for the man and, and, uh, and do it as a side hustle. Doesn't take a lot of capital requirements. But you have to have the, the impetus and the wherewithal to want to do it because it's going to be hard. That's all. Man, How are we doing really on time? Oh, I, I just wanted to check. Yeah. Because yeah, I actually have a, I actually have another, I actually have another podcast <laughs> at four o'clock and I don't oh, know how man. I got booked. I don't, I don't know how I got booked back to back, but we can come and do another one. Right. Oh, this is, this I'm around. So I'm not going anywhere. Man, Henry, this was, so good, man. I, I apologize for that. I I got I just somehow got booked back to back, which is very unusual. You're good. You're good. No worries. We'll finish off now. But I just wanted to talk on uh, what you mentioned. Having a VA overseas—that's <laughs> a twenty-four hour business. And no kidding. You're, you're yeah. literally keeping your expenses down because, of course, the pay is totally different overseas. So it's not yep. like you're paying Judith that lives in New York City twenty dollars an hour. You're paying someone overseas and you're saving way more, getting the same quality of work done. Well, let's be honest, sometimes they do better work. It is what it is. But man, right. I am, I got literally a note sheet from uh, this interview. You know, Henry, I, I'm, number one, I'm about to go download your book right now. Uh, Henry, please tell our guests where they can find you, keep up with you, learn more. You mentioned the Mastermind Group. Definitely shout that out as well. This was really a treat, man. I am I am honored to uh, soak up all these gems. So the best place to, to see all my stuff is just to go to henrydas.com. So H-E-N-R-Y-D-A-A-S. Even if you misspell it, D-A-S-S, which people do, it still goes to, to my site. It's like a porn site. You know, if you misspell it, it still takes you there. <laughs> not that not that I'm not that I'm speaking from experience, mind you. I only heard about that by reading it on the internet. But yeah, so uh, because people always misspell my name. Um, yeah, you know what? It's funny. I'm kind of at the first point in my life in my old age now that I'm a senior that I really don't have anything to sell, you know, because I have a coaching business, but it's I'm pretty much full up, um, at least through the end of the year. So I don't have any room to take anybody. Um, and I have a backlog for people to take my my course as well. So it's kind of actually interesting that I don't really have anything to sell, uh, but I have a lot of stuff that I give away. So you can, you can come on my, my site, you can download my book for free. You can uh, read my blog or you can, I do a twice monthly um, newsletter about money. I call it the DOS FQ update. I put it out on like the roughly the first and the 15th, kind of like every other Sunday. And, you know, I'm toying with, um, when the best time is to send it out to get the maximum conversion rate. Another thing that you can do is you can track all this stuff, 
right? With Google Analytics and with Shield uh, for for LinkedIn and with with um, uh, you know uh, Ahrefs for for keywords and all of these things. There's so many inexpensive tools out there. We talk about using charts and things like that and using analytics on your stock trading. Well, for your business, your conversion rates, right? All of those things can be measured and you can experiment, you can A-B test. So I've been testing like, where do I get the best conversion rate? Most number of people reading my thing. So now I've settled on Sunday mornings and I'm doing some analysis on that, but then maybe I'll go back to Wednesday, right? To try to figure out, that was unheard of 30 years ago. You couldn't do that kind of stuff. You did your business word of mouth, right? That's what you did. But now it's it's massively easy. And if you're not good at it, you can find somebody on, on Fiverr or on Upwork or on any one of these other gig sources who's an expert at it and you can pay them very inexpensive rates. I mean, it is, it, like I said, it is it is a magical age to be an entrepreneur. I don't know how much trouble we could have gotten in 30 years ago if we'd had all of this stuff. <laughs> we, we ran it and we ran a pretty good business, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, and it's the same thing, real estate, you got Zillow, you got Realtor, you've got IDX, you've got all this MLS stuff, you, you know, a, a wash in data, right? There's just data everywhere. You wanna buy a used car, used cars have exploded. Another thing that's exploded due to the pandemic. Well, you want to buy a used car or a new car? All the pricing info is out there. Everything you need to know to make a smart decision. I mean, it's it's incredible. People, young people have no idea how how lucky they are because they don't have the context of of living. You know, I'm like guy who lived before internet, right? So I look at it and I'm I'm dumbfounded by the um, by what we have. To, it's just an embarrassment of riches. It really is. Wow. I mean, this was definitely quite the interview. Henry, I want to say thank you again for spending your time with me today on the St. Clair Speaks Your Podcast. For those listeners out there, don't forget you could stream this episode from start to finish, streaming now on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audible, Pandora, Overcast, and Radio Breaker. Like always, I'll see you guys in the next one. It's that time. I'm out. Peace. You are now tuned in to the St. Clair Speaks Show.